we're in the uh, third week of a series that we're calling uh, our One Another series. And I want to start by mentioning that there are certain conversations we have with our parents growing up that we remember for a long time. So what I want you to do, whether you, some of you guys, you had great parents. Some of you did not have great parents. So I'm, I'm wanting you to think of a good parent figure. Maybe you were raised with your grandparents or an aunt and uncle or uh, I don't know, maybe you're a foster kid, but there was one family that was awesome. So think of like the great parent figure in, in your life. Can you remember any of the conversations you had with them? Um, I, like I can't remember like all of the conversations I ever had with my dad, but there's a couple uh, I remember. And what makes that conversation memorable to me is the way that it impacted my life after the conversation. Is that the same thing for you? Um, like I, I, I have a lot of conversations with my kids and I feel like every single one of them is important and that they should remember all of them. Am I right, parents? We feel like our kids should remember everything. Like your mom and dad want you to remember everything that you say, but everything that they say. But there's only a few. Uh, it was after my freshman year of college. Uh, I came home and, um, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an adult now. I'm 19. I'm on my own. Um, like I am my own man, uh, but dad, I still want you to pay all my bills. That's where I was at in my life. Uh, and so you know how well that worked out. And then there's a series of conversations I had with my dad that I don't remember any of those. Uh, but I remember the last conversation I had with my dad that summer before a thing. And what he said was, is he says, I don't know what's gotten into you, but it needs to get out of you. And I'm tired of it. It needs to get out of you by tomorrow morning or you're going to need to find a new place to live. Right? So like, that's when I pooped my pants. Right there, but like I still remember that conversation. I'm thankful that my dad had was you know had the courage to have that like that like listen, I love you, but if you're homeless as a result of you being an idiot, then that's as a result of you being an idiot. You're not going to ruin the rest of my kids. And I thought he was completely blowing it out of proportion. Like I was only selling them the soft drugs. It wasn't any of the hard. I'm just kidding. None of that's. You guys, you guys got really quiet on that. Like that was true. So I felt really bad for. Sorry, that was inappropriate. I apologize. Please accept my forgiveness or uh, whatever. Um, anyway, uh, but I, I didn't think that it was that big of a deal. Uh, apparently, he did, but it, but it changed my life. And the conversations I have with my kids, like the conversations that you have in the kitchen, impromptu, where your kid just spontaneously opens up like every part of their heart to you. And that doesn't happen a lot as a, as a parent um, with, with your kids, but when, but when they do... And you lean into that moment and you let them talk and like and they feel you treating them like like almost like an adult. Like like it's those are the kind of conversations they remember. But the reason why they remember it is not because of the things that we said in the moment, but how it affected the way that they lived after the moment was over. Same thing is true for coaches. If you guys have ever been on a, a sports team or you ever coached a team, um, I, I, I coach. Uh, I, I don't, don't anymore. All my kids are out of the house, and that makes me want to cry. But, like, that coaching thing is a real par big part of my identity. And before every game I've ever coached, I've called all of the players over together, and, you know, I've tried to, like, really, really pump them up. And, and I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be great. But the, the, the locker room speech is not nearly as important as what happens after the locker room speech. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me on this? Uh, and, and the same thing is true about this weekend in, in church. Um, for some of us, this is the, like the, like as far as our relationship with God, this is like the, the big moment of the week. And as a collective of Christians who are part of this church family, it, it really is. But the things that are said this morning and the songs that we sing this morning are not nearly as important as, or, the, or I'll say this, they are only important to the degree that it makes an impact on the way you live after this moment. 
after this service. Like the measurement of the weekend gathering, uh, I think in the eyes of God, is whether or not this has any effect on the way you live your life after, after we leave this church service, uh, especially when it comes to what we're talking about today. Um, but what happens afterwards? So I'll, I'll say this. The work, the work begins in the kitchen conversation, but the work happens uh, when our kids go to school the next day. Uh, the work begins in practice or in that like, like pregame warm-up, that, 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 that pep talk, but the work happens on the field. And so like the work begins in this church service, but the work happens. Your actual faith, like the maturing of your faith, is what happens after church. It's not what's happening uh, in, in church. So in this One Another series, we're looking at the three most important uh, instructions God ever gave the church. And surprisingly, none of those instructions are about the things that we're supposed to do when we gather together. Now, we know gathering together is important. We talked about that last week, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They gathered together in one place. So we gather together in one place, and we devote ourselves to the scriptures. So we're still doing exactly this weekend uh, what they were doing. I shouldn't say exactly. We're doing the same types of things. We don't know, like, like did they have a band when they, or did they sing acapella? Uh, did, they, did, they, did, they, did they have an electric, you know, guitar, right, in the Temple Mount? Uh, for that first church service with, with the Apostle uh, Peter when, when he preached. Did they, did they have drums? Did they, did they sing two songs or did they sing four songs and were they split up on either side of Peter's sermon? Or like there's nothing in the Bible about any of that. The, you know, the stand-up sit-down. Anybody grew up in a stand-up sit-down church? Anybody? All right. Like how many times you stand up, sit down is, is not there. Uh, by the way, they probably did not have any crosses at all in the first church because to the first century uh, Jewish person, the cross was a Roman symbol of torture. It would be like us putting electric chairs all over the wall. Like that's, in, in our, that's what it would have been like to them. Like they didn't want to see crosses because they knew people who'd been tortured to death on them. Like eventually it came to be a symbol of the sacrifice of Jesus and there's nothing wrong with crosses, of course. I'm just saying, but there's so many things that God left out. But the instructions that he gave us, like the actual things he said, here's the stuff I want you to pay attention to. It all has to do with our relationships with three different people. It has to do with our relationship with God, our relationship with other Christians, and our relationship with those outside of faith. Like almost everything he talks about is about that. It's not like the order of service. Like that's not that. That's actually not in the New Testament anywhere at all. But but the stuff that he told us to do towards each other is really important. Um, and there's there's a hundred, and we pulled pulled out the, the top three. The first one is that we love in top three according to who? Uh, according to me. So I'm the guy who gets to talk. So I, I picked them out. You guys are like, well, I like that other one better. All right. Well, uh, I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, so it's love one another. Uh, like Jesus loved us, is, is what he said. And uh, some of us haven't experienced that yet. And so every weekend in the series, we've been giving you an opportunity to turn to faith in God so that you could experience that relationship with him. Um, but the way that, that God loves us and demonstrates his love toward us is how we ought to love others and demonstrate our love towards other people. Last week, we said that we needed to be devoted to each other. Uh, devoted to each other, devoted uh, in, in fellowship, 
uh, devoted in um, devoted in fel- I have to look devoted in fellowship, uh, devoted when we gather, and devoted in, in prayer is the way that we're supposed to be devoted. And those first two are uh, easier for me to fake in front of you. So I can I can like some of you guys are like man Sean you're just the nicest guy in the world or whatever because you only see me up here. So obviously I'm not going to be the other side of me when I'm in front of you, right? And by the other side I'm talking about the side my kids know uh, when I'm in traffic on 93. Like, you don't see that part of me, and I'm thankful to God, or I'd probably lose my job. But um, I can fake the whole, like, I can, now, I know whether or not I love people the way Jesus loved others, and I've served people, but you might not have experienced that, and so you're still going to give me the benefit of the doubt. And even the devoted thing, I can be devoted if, if there's something, like, I can say all I want. Man, if you're ever in the hospital or ever in need, let me know. But you're not in the hospital, and you're not right in need right now, so that's a really easy thing for me to say. But this third one that we're going over today, the serving one another, this is the one you can't fake because everybody else can see this about you as much as you can see this about you. Like, this one isn't the one that's on the inside. Like, the loving and the devoting, like, that starts on the inside. This serving, that's just a matter, like, that's, you either serve people or you don't, you don't serve people. And if I'm going to be honest, this is the one of, this is the number one of the one another's I, I don't like the most or I like the least is the, is the one because this is the one that takes the most out of me. Um, I don't, it, this one is going to require you to, I mean, we serve people with the leftover time, uh, right? Like nobody, like we don't move things around to serve people. Um, because when somebody says, hey, can you help me with this? What do we do? We don't say yes and then move our calendar. We check our calendar and we're like, ah, oh, man, I'm sorry. I got a thing. Right? Somebody ever done that? They asked, asked you for help and you were just like, I got to see a man about a horse. You guys have heard that phrase? That's an old, old-fashioned people thing to say, right? I got to see a man about a horse. I can't make it. I'm sorry. Uh, Pastor Ken and Kara sold their house and they're moving to Holbrook. And so I was like, oh, congratulations. Uh, when are you moving? I'm like, please let it be when I'm not here. Please let it be when I'm not here. Please let it be when I'm not here. So they close next Thursday, and they move into their new house on Friday. Well, I'm in Kenya. Yeah! So I'm like, oh, man, I would have loved to have helped you. Oh, man. Oh, gone it. Man, I'm just so sorry. I can't help you with your house. Right? And we all, raise your hand if you've ever done that. Okay, and then the other half of you are lion sacks of dog doo-doo. That's what you are. We all do that. Like, this is the, this is the one, one another. Not a, we want everybody to have this toward us. But this is the one, one another that it's the most difficult to have towards others. It, it just is. Like, we just don't. <laughs> Man, I love you. I just don't want to have to do anything for you. <laughs> right? Like, it's really hard. Like, it's even hard with your kids. Right? And your spouse and your guys are like, oh, you're a horrible father. Like, it's hard for me and I think I'm a good dad. You know what I mean? But like, it's that, because when you come home, you, you, you just, you just, I don't want to, I don't want to help you with your stupid, I saw a meme this past week. Some of y'all ain't never experienced that three hour moment at the table with your dad screaming at you, what's three times seven? Right? And it shows. Um, but like that's, <laughs> man, it's three sevens. What's seven plus seven plus seven? That's how do you not understand this? Right? So you, sorry, that was, that was, you guys are like, man, that was real personal. That was close to the top right there for you, Sean. Um, but I'm just saying like even serving our kids, 
in our family, it's, it's, it's really difficult. Now, I, I think this would be the appropriate time that we give honorable mention to moms, right? Because what, oh, yeah, holy cow. There's a reason why God made sure that it was the women that would give birth. Because if it was the men, the human race would have stopped right after the first baby. Adam would have gave birth to that first baby and said, nope, we're all going to die. <laughs> Ain't going to be no more. Ain't going to be no more. God bless mamas. Because here's the thing, mamas. You have a... I just... We need to clap for mamas one more time. Can we clap for mamas one more time? Man... If you got a mama in your life, you are blessed by God. You are blessed by God. If you ever had a mama in your life, you are blessed by God. But here's the thing. I don't want us to get our, our give our, get our, uh, take ourselves off the hook too much because there are people that were obligated to serve, and you're going to, but everybody can do that. Pagans can serve the people they're obligated to serve, right? It's this extra capacity that those of us who have God's Holy Spirit in us are supposed to be able to have to serve those that it isn't natural for us to have the capacity to serve. That's, I mean, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to bless those who take advantage of you. What do you think he meant by that? He didn't mean pray for them because he had just said, pray for your enemies. He said, pray for your enemies and bless those that spitefully use you. Like that's, that's service. There's another place where he says, what, what credit do you think you get if you love people that love you first? Because everybody can do that. Or if you help those that help you first. So you do things for people that you know can do things back for you. He goes, pagans can do this. He said, but if you're mine, when somebody asks you to go a mile, you volunteer to go too. When they ask for your jacket, you give them your, your vest also. Like it's that, it's that extra mile thing. That's, that's the idea behind this serving one another that I have such a difficult time with. Um, I think I'm a little bit more like the disciples on this one than, than Jesus. So the disciples, uh, what I love about them is that even the people closest to Jesus had the hardest time with this one also. I want you to see it in John, uh, Luke chapter 22. If you've got your Bible, go to Luke 22. And this is one of three different times they were arguing about which one of them was most important. And I think that's hilarious, right? Because these are like grown men following Jesus, their disciples. Jesus picked them. These are going to be the 12 world changers. The people that start this new movement of including non-Jews in the Jewish promises of, to, of Abraham, right? Like this has been talked about for the last 1,800 years, and now it's going to happen. And you know, it was in the Old Testament that he was going to pick together friends that were going to do this. So you know all the angels in heaven were just like secretly waiting to see who Jesus' draft pick was going to be. And his first draft pick is Peter, the loud mouth. They're like, hey, that was a bad pick. Hopefully he makes it up in round two. Right? And you get James and John, and their mommy came up to Jesus one time and said, Can both of my little boys sit next to you on either side in heaven for all of eternity? That started another fight, of course, because they're a bunch of mama's boys, right? So that's the second round and third round. And then fourth round is Andrew, all in. Now, Andrew, God bless the guy, uh, he never really did anything cool. He was just like the one who says, I, I don't know, but let me take you to church. Like he, so he, would, he was always just grabbing people and bringing them to Jesus, is what, what he was doing. But I don't know that he was necessary. Anyway, but they were, one of the things that they were always fighting about is which one of them were most important. They were obsessed with that. And um, truthfully, if we're going to be honest, we're also pretty obsessed with how we rank socially, right? Like you know whether or not 
like where you fall on the socioeconomic scale of all the other people in your apartment complex or all the other people on your street. And if you don't, you got an idea of who on your street is richer than you and who on your street you have more money than. Like, isn't that weird? Like, I didn't even tell you to do that, but when I mentioned it, you're like, oh, yeah. And then you started thinking of the rich people on your street, and then you started thinking of the poor people on your street. We do this all the time. Uh, we do this at work with who has the most, most influence. We're constantly measuring ourselves against other people. And, and if, you, if, you, if you aren't doing this, you're just a much better Christian than me. Uh, because I'm doing, what I hate is when I see younger preachers, right? Getting, they're all on TV and stuff. And I'm like, dang it, he's only 34. I'm 51. What have I done with my life? Right? You ever do it? Anybody else? So I'm like, preachers don't not do that either. Like, you've done that. You're like, it's like some of you guys, you're fine with, with uh, Elon Musk. You just hate that he's 10 years younger than you. If he was older than you, you'd be totally fine with it. But because he's younger than you and did so much, like, there's, okay, maybe not. I'm, you didn't pick up on that at all. But uh, I'm, okay, I'm just preaching to me today, so enjoy the ride. Jesus tells them in this world, the kings and great men lorded over other people. Uh, the, the people who have status, they lord it over other people. They, they use people. Yet, they are called the friends of the people. Uh, and I think Jesus is going, it's kind of ironic. Verse 26, but among you it needs to be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Then he asks a rhetorical question. Who, who's greater? Who's more important? The one who's sitting at the table or the one who's serving him or her at the table? It's a rhetorical question because Jesus answers it right away. He says, it's the one who sits at the table, of course. The one who's being served is the most important. And then Jesus says, um, not here. Not in church. Not anymore. He's speaking to his disciples. It's the core group, the beginning of the first church. He says, for what we're doing, that's not the way it's going to be here. Uh, because I, for, or because, I am among you as one who serves. So he's already revealed to them who he is. They know who he is. He's God who was born as a baby, as Isaiah says. The child who would be born, the son who would be given, who would be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, as a baby. He's God in the flesh. And so he doesn't need to say this, but it's inferred, I'm God in the flesh, and you guys are fighting over which one of you is most important. <laughs> and you guys are a bunch of morons. But who's the one serving who here? So if I'm the one, God in the flesh, who's going to spend all this time serving you, you've got to change your attitude about what I think is important. The most important person in this church this weekend might have been the guy who showed up on Friday morning when nobody was here and grabbed all of the signs and the flags and went and set them out along the street up at the corner, at the Duncan, and down at the other corner by the Target. He's waiting tables, and nobody knows his name, and nobody said thank you this week. People are going to come up to me afterwards and say thank you, right? So I'm getting affirmed for what, what I'm doing and how I'm serving. It's a person that showed up extra early this morning to make sure all the bathrooms had toilet paper. That person, God says, that's what impresses me. When people voluntarily, with their free will, choose to serve people, that's when they're most like me. That's what Jesus said. It's crazy. I think that's nuts. 
So in church, the greatest person isn't the one who sits at the table. It's the person who sets the table. It's the person who clears the table. It's the person who's resetting the cafe right now so that it's all cleaned up and restocked before you guys go out. Here's the thing. Somebody would be so, not, not you probably, but somebody would probably complain if one of those crafts was out of coffee. That's actually happened. Where are my brownies? Where am I? Well, like, that's not, that rarely happens, but I'm just saying. But rarely does anybody thank the person who's teaching the fourth and fifth grade class today, Carlos DePina. Carlos DePina, who showed up extra early this week and who this past week went online to study the lesson plans for your fourth and fifth grade kid, your 10 and 11-year-olds, your 9 and 10-year-olds. Right, Carlos DePina. He's the guy that God says, of all the people in this church, you know who I'm impressed with? I'm impressed with Carlos DePina. The guy who showed up early to serve everybody else at the table. God says, that kid. That ki that's what you want to look like? You want to see what it looks like to follow Jesus? That's it. I don't know if you're ever more like Jesus than you are when you're serving someone without being made to. Using your free will, your resources, your time. When you're prioritizing the needs of somebody else over the comfort of yourself. You're never more like Jesus than that. The selfish person can't be like Jesus. They can't. They don't have the capacity for it. I mean, it, it helps me to see what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he said this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Like that's, that's what he meant by turning from your selfish ways. Our natural default is not to say, Ken, let me see if I can come back early from Kenya. Now, now Ken, I love you, and I, I, would, I want to tell you I checked with Maine if I could come back, and they said no, but I, but I didn't. Because I didn't want to. Um, but <laughs> listen, I, if, um, I'm, just, I'm the biggest hypocrite in the room. I'm not saying I'm the only person who struggles with this, but you have the good sense not to get up here and tell everybody else to get better at this. Right? Like, I, I stink at this one, but it's in the Bible, dang it. I got to go over it. And the Holy Spirit the whole time is going, Sean, you out of all people here need to fix this. And I'm like, I know. Can we just get through the sermon, God, so I can go back to ignoring you? And since I am a follower of Jesus, maybe this is the first place I had to start, but Rick Warren, the guy who started Saddleback Church and then wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Anybody, raise your hand if you've heard of that book. He's real famous. It was one of the first books in Oprah's book club. So apparently it's good. Oprah picked it. So, uh, but Rick Warren is a solid guy, retiring at the end of this year, by the way. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, he said this, until you personally experience the transforming power of God's grace in your own life, until you experience the transforming power of God at work in your own life, you're too enslaved by your own hurts, your own habits, your own insecurities to think much about other people. I mean, there's a legitimate reason why we have such a hard time focusing on other people. It's because we're so internally broken. He would say, and I think it's probably accurate, that the healthier of a person you are, the more capacity you have to actually be others-centered. 
So maybe one of the best things that you can do to be the kind of person that has the capacity to serve other people is to personally experience God's transformative power in your own life. Maybe rather than dating God, you ought to go all in with God and make this a permanent relationship. Maybe you've been checking them out for a while and you believe in God, you're just not all about them. Maybe you ought to give that a shot. Maybe as long as you're keeping God at a distance from every part of your heart, maybe he's going to stay there. Maybe all he's waiting on is for you to stop stiff-arming him. And so you can get really close to authentic spiritual renewal and not experience it because you didn't really want it. And maybe you ought to just tell God, I'm sorry for keeping you at a distance. I want you to come into my life into any part of it. Save me from all of my sin. Forgive me for it. Jesus, I accept your death, burial, and resurrection as the only thing that pays off my debt before God, and I want that. Do with my life and change my heart in any way you want. Some of you, honestly, you just haven't given God permission to change you. Like, God, I want what you want for me more than what I want for me. So if you want to change my wants, I'm okay with that too. I wonder what God's Holy Spirit would actually start fixing in you if you prayed that prayer. And some of us, we're going to pray that prayer, but there's brokenness that goes back way far, and we're going to need to talk to a professional person who's an expert on asking us the kind of discovery questions that are going to help us um, deal with some of the trauma of our past. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Uh, the Bible says that the wise seek counsel from the wise, right? So finding a counselor, I think, would be, honestly, some of you guys are stuck spiritually just because you've locked those dirty rooms in your house rather than sweeping them out because it, it terrified you. And I get that. I'm not saying you should unlock that room and just start throwing everything out into the yard all by yourself, right? But if you could find a godly mentor, counselor, somebody else who's maybe gone through the same thing and God's healed them from it, that might be what, what's going to get you past this moment so that you can become the kind of person who has the capacity to be generous towards other people with your time, talent, treasure, whatever. Maybe your prayer could be, God, fix the brokenness in me as I serve those who are broken around me. Jesus modeled what this looked like um, in actually the Last Supper. So in the book of John, we have the broadest conversation that like there's a lot of things Jesus talked about at the Last Supper. It was the Passover feast that the Jews celebrated. And what Jesus showed the disciples is that everything that's symbolized in the Passover, a celebration, is actually a picture of everything that was about to happen to him tonight and tomorrow in the crucifixion. And uh, said a lot of things to them. And John, like I said, has like three chapters of all the things that Jesus said over dinner. But before any of those conversations happened, we have John chapter 13, verse 3. So this is before Jesus broke, uh, broke the bread and blessed it and passed it out. This is before Jesus said, one of you tonight will betray me. This is how goofy the, the disciples were. When he passed out the bread, he said, when he broke the bread, he said, he said, one of you will betray me. And they said, who? And then he said, the person that I hand this to after I dip it in the wine. 
And then the Bible says he dipped it in the wine and then he handed it to Judas. And then Judas passed it on. And then they said, so who is it? That really happened. That really happened. <laughs> and then they got into an argument. That was the third time they got into an argument over which one of them would be most likely to betray Jesus. But it's not me because I'm the most important. So like that's, they got in another fight about who's most important at the Last Supper. I just, we think of this Last Supper moment like the way da Vinci painted it, right? Oh, by the way, did you, anybody see the COVID separated, the socially distanced meme of the, of the Last Supper, the painting? They're all like at four separate tables, groups of three. Anybody see that? That's hilarious. Google it. At the beginning of the night, though, John chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and returned to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped the towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. There's only one other time that I'm aware of that it says that Jesus had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And that's in Matthew chapter 28. It's the most famous time, I think. And Christians refer to this as the Great Commission. It's when God, Jesus, commissioned the church to be on his mission as his representative in the world because he was about to leave them. So he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize disciples, and then teach them all the things that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. The only other time in the New Testament that I'm aware of that it says all authority had been given to Jesus was at the beginning of the Last Supper. What would you do if you just realized that all authority from heaven had been given to you? What would you do with that? Like, this is like the Shazam time. Like, he's like a little kid, and he goes, Shazam! And now he's all like this. Or like when the mighty Morphin, the, the uh, Morphin Power Rangers, when they all become the gigantic Power Ranger, right? Anyone, I just dated myself twice right there. All right? Uh, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, like when Superman, the, dang it, there's no phone booths anymore. But like when he would like run into the phone booth and then he'd come out, right? Like, like he'd run into that phone booth and all authority and power was given to him. And he'd come out, boom, right? Or like Wonder Woman, she's Diana Prince. And then she just twirls her fancy dress. Wonder Woman. Okay. Wow, I did that pretty good. That was really good. Right? But then now she can like block bullets and like, right? Like she's like all ninja and everything. So like if, if you just, if like right now, if like you just like right now realize, like before right now, no, but now right now, all authority in all of heaven and earth has now been dumped on your head and you feel it. What? Ha ha! Right? Like ha ha ha! What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to fix some things around here. That's what you're going to do. You're going to start your business. All authority has been given to you because it'll go great. I'm going to buy that crypto, the one that's going to blow up that nobody knows about because it's going to blow up and I have all authority. I'm going to make that one blow up. I sold Dogecoin five days before it blew up. I'm still broken over that. I need therapy. Could have $124,788, but I sold it for $1,500. Um, doesn't matter, right? But if all authority was given to me, I'd have waited five days. I'd have waited five days, right? I'd, what would you do? You'd go visit your ex. That's what you'd do, right? You'd buy a lotto ticket. You'd buy a lotto ticket. You'd go to the bully that picked on you as a kid and you would flex. You wouldn't do nothing because you got Jesus in your heart, but you'd like it when he peed his pants. Right? Like if all authority in heaven and on earth was given to you, what would you do? 
you probably wouldn't stand up, take off your jacket, and wash the feet of the two people that are going to betray you tonight. Peter and Judas both betrayed Jesus that night. He knew that. And when all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus, he did the exact opposite thing every single person in this room would have done. He took care of others. That's what he did. And truthfully, that scene right there proves to me how much I am nothing like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul's describing what it means to serve one another and what it takes. And he says in verse 3, don't be selfish, don't try to impress other people. And already I'm busted by that verse. He hasn't even, I haven't even gotten to verses 4 through 8 yet. But don't be selfish. Talk to my wife. I have, I have incredibly selfish moments. Talk to my kids. I've been selfish in my relationship with my kids. And, and don't try to impress other people. And even now I am talking to you at church, I'm thinking, I hope they think I'm a good talker. <laughs> right? Like I'm constantly, I'm constantly worried about whether or not people like me or whether or not I'm good enough. And like I got these broken parts in my heart too. And like that thought of, do they like me? is always in the back of my head. And maybe that's not in you, and it's because you're a horrible human being. But for the rest of us in here, right, now I'm worried that because you didn't laugh, that now you're thinking something weird about me now. I'm just saying, like, everything that I do, it always in some way has to do with how this looks on me. It's like this impressing other thing. Like, I'd, I went out, so we're going to Kenya, we're doing a lot of walking. So I was like, I know where I'll find really nice walking shoes, right? It's probably not my flat bottom Adidas shell toes. So let me get something that's actually going to be comfortable. I went to L.L. Bean and I got a pair of their nice walking shoes. And that's these. But they look like the styling is from Payless. <laughs> Does anybody remember Payless? They weren't Nike. They were like knifey or something like that, right? Like, <laughs> remember that? A, a Peepus, not Adidas, right? Just the D's upside down or whatever. That was Payless. And that's, now I'm worried. So I walk in and Carlos de Pina, the guy in fourth grade that Jesus loves, goes, well, they might look better if they were dirty. <laughs> Listen, if your shoes got to get trashed before they look okay, take them back. I'm just saying, I'm all, like, even with my shoes, I'm thinking I actually am going to take these back because it looks like I got them at Payless. What? Who cares? I care because you're looking at them. Okay, enough about me. Back at it. He says, Sean, your problem is that you're not humble. You think of yourself as better than others instead of others better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, Sean, but take an interest in others, man. And he realizes, you know who's the best example of this? It's Jesus. So then like right as he's given these instructions on how to serve other people better, like, he's actually given me, like, tangible things that I can do. Like, quit worrying what everybody think all the time, right? Like, like be, be humble, man. Like, like, it's okay if people aren't impressed by, you know, what you have or, or don't have. Uh, don't be all about you all the time. He says you need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. That's the thing. I, it's my attitude where this comes from. What attitude did Jesus have? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his rights. Now that's, there's nothing more un-American than that. 
right? Now, one of the things I appreciate most about our country, and I do love this, is that we do have rights here. And now we're not the only country that has rights for the citizens. But, like, we have rights. Like, police just can't do, like, they go to jail. Like, they can, like cops in this country go to jail. Go to other countries. It don't all work like that in every country. So I'm just saying, I'm, I'm thankful for our rights. The Bill of Rights, the amendment, like, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, I am. I'm thankful that there's due process. I'm thankful that I can, I can take somebody in a position of power to court in front of a jury of my peers. Like, I'm thankful to God for all of those things. And it's not that I want those rights taken from me. I don't think those rights should be taken from you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, some of your rights you need to be willing to, on your own free will, let go of in order to put the rights of somebody else ahead of you. And that's, that's what we struggle with. So I'm thankful for our rights. It's just that Christians are okay yielding those rights. That's what we do. We have the right to insist on our rights, but out of consideration of the needs of the other person next to us or the person below us, we voluntarily give up our rights in order to serve them. And that's what we have a hard time doing. I have a hard time with the idea that Ken getting help to move his house is more important than whether or not I get the full experience of a trip in Kenya. So I'm mentioning Ken moving a lot so that you guys will do it so I can feel better about not coming back early from Kenya. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took a humble position of a slave and born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. That's what he did. There are two specific directions in which we are called as Christians to serve. I'm going to wrap it up with this. The two specific directions that God called. Now, so everything up to now is for anybody in the room, whether you're a Christian or not. And I don't know that you'll ever have the capacity to actually start doing these things until, as Rick Warren says, your heart experiences the transforming power of the Holy Spirit of God. And that will happen on the day that you're saved and then begin doing the hard work of cleaning out the junk that you've been accumulating in the closets of your heart, well, probably since you were a little kid, right? But everything else from now, like the, this, this last five, 10 minutes, is, is for those of us who've already called on God to forgive us and save us, and we've started experiencing the transforming power of God at work in our hearts. Um, and here's what we do. You're called to serve in your church. There's two directions. We're called to serve in our church, and we're called to serve as the church. We're called to serve in the church, and we're called to serve as the church. That's what the scripture says for those of us who are Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time. I'm going to skip through it. I'm going to read 4 through 6, and then hop down to 12, and then hop down to 18. And you guys can read it if you want. I'm just trying to hit the highlights of those, this chapter. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. So each one of you guys who are followers of Jesus, God's given you uh, superpower, that's like, it's too much, but like you've got a unique way to contribute to the body of Christ. And this isn't, there's other places that talk about money. This isn't talking about money unless it's your ability to create wealth. And so maybe that's your superpower is you're really good at creating wealth. Okay, well, that's something that you personally bring to the table, right? So like this is something about you. God has gifted you in such a way uh, that it makes you unique from every other person in this room. Like there's nobody here who has the exact 
same like makeup, wiring that you do. So what he says is, uh, you guys have different gifts from God's Holy Spirit, um, but it's the same Holy Spirit that's the source of those. These are, there are different kinds of service. So we use each one of our gifts, hopefully in service to the Lord, and we'll use them in different ways, but we use those to serve the Lord, the same Lord. Verse 6 says, God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift, it says, look at this, a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can, everybody, say the last three words, so that we can, I'm going to say it again, a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can, that's why God blessed you. But everybody on TikTok says that I need to be using all of these things to start my side hustle so I can make an extra $500 a week on you know, like uh, drop shipping and, and you know, uh, the, advert to the, the Amazon marketing and you, you, you see the same thing or maybe, maybe, by the way, when you get on TikTok, first thing you got to do is push no on all them junior hires dancing. After you push that, then you can, it'll start curating the stuff that you really, you really like. But, but I've, I'm taught by, you know, uh, Tony Robbins, and I'm, I'm taught by, you know, all these other gurus that, like, I got, I got tools to be leveraged, and I'm behind, and if I don't start doing this, I'm never going to catch up, right? Um, that's, that's, that's the, so buy my course, and I'll help you catch up. That's where, that's where it always leads to. Um, but what this says is all of these things, these natural abilities that God's given you, those weren't for you. Like the best parts of who you are aren't for you. God gave you those things for, the, for everybody else in here. And that's not what anybody outside the church is going to tell you. you. We don't hear that anywhere else. But everything awesome about who you are is a tool that God gave you to be leveraged, not so that you can create a new legacy for your family dynasty, but is to be a blessing to everybody else who's in the household of faith. That's what it's for. Um, the human body has many parts, verse 12, but the many parts make up one body. I've got 10 fingers, 10 toes, but I got one body. We got 50 people from Randolph. We got 200 people from Brockton, we got 75 people from Stoughton, and then we got, you know, we got, we got, we got like 300 people from Haiti, and we've got like 100 people from Ghana. By the way, Ghanaians laugh at everybody's jokes. I love people from Ghana because they feed my ego. Love them, right? Like they make me, they make me feel like I'm super funny. Um, and then we've got, we've got like, we got people who are from, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, we got all these different... Oh, oh, I forgot. We got like 500 Brazilians, right? And then, um, but don't, don't, don't call them Portuguese. They're not. They, they will punch you in the face if you call a Brazilian a Portuguese. Um, but I'm just saying, we got all these different things, but we're one body. That's one church. That's what he says. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves. Some of us are free. Some of us are black. Some of us are brown. Some of us are, 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 are white. Some of us are are different shades of, of melanin, right? Some of us are native uh, of, um, of English speakers. Some of us are American-born citizens. Some are, of us have become citizens. Some of us are here on green cards, and some of us are here, don't tell nobody. And then, right? We're, we're all... 
I'm sorry, am I being too honest? You're like, wait. <laughs> Some of us in here, who they? Who they at? Where they at? <laughs> I ain't telling you. I ain't telling you. Uh, but we have all been baptized into one body. We're one spirit. We all share the same spirit. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each one of us here just like he wanted. Ain't nobody a part of this church on accident. If you're here, you have a role to play here. Is that what the Bible teaches, yes or no? How much of your body do you want showing up to work tomorrow? <laughs> 100%. I don't want my kidney to go, I'm bailing. I ain't going to work today. Like, I want everybody showing up. You ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Where 80% of the people are doing about 20% of the work, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, or of the 100% of work that you put in at work, 20% of your week probably brings 80% of the results of your work. So the idea behind this principle is that if you were to put more of the 80% into the 20%, it would like quadruple your output and make you more productive is the idea. But that same 80-20 rule is consistent in churches. Like 20% of this church are their Carlos de Pinas. They're carrying 80% of the weight. Now, the other 80% of you, you're doing a little something, something here and there, and all of you together make up the other 20, right? Like 20% of the people here are the ones who are financially carrying the weight. 20% of the people are the ones who are carrying the volunteer weight. Like, can you imagine? Like 20% of you are in life groups. It's crazy. Like that 80-20 thing, that's a real thing. Can you imagine, though? Like, think of all the things this church is doing locally, nationally, and internationally. And almost all of that is being done on the backs of the 20%. Now, you might be the 20%. Rock on, dear God in heaven. You're like, yes. Can you imagine what would happen? Yeah. If the other 80, like if everybody here completely sold out to God, holy crap, we would change New England. Right? Like we, we'd change other countries, man. Like if we're doing all this with just 20%, what if the other 80 of you guys said, I'm all in. Holy crap. We'd kill it, right? That'd be, that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. Now, if you're that 80%, you have free will. You don't have to do that. That's why God says, use your free will. If all the authority and power over your life has been given to you, what should you do with it? You should stand up, take off the robe that everybody else in this culture has put on you and put on a serving towel. That's what Jesus would tell you to do. The second direction in which you're supposed to serve is as the church. As the church. Jesus was a great example of this. He served his disciples, spent a lot of time with his disciples, but he was always looking for ways to serve other people. Uh, when they were hungry, there were 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 wasn't just 5,000. It's crazy. It says there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So if there was one man and, or one woman and one child for every man, the feeding of the 5,000 was actually feeding of the 15,000. Jesus wasn't there to start a cafeteria. He was there to help them find faith. But he knew that it's going to be hard for them to think about faith when they, when they got nothing to eat. So I'm going to feed them too. Jesus finds out, on the day he finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Who's his third cousin, by the way? Or first cousin twice removed? or one? I don't know how that works. I'll check in ancestry later if I think about it. I don't care. Anyway, um, but John the Baptist, the guy who's known, he's known his entire life. John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. When Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been murdered by King Herod because he spoke biblical truth to King Herod, when King Herod asked, uh, all he wants to do is just go somewhere private and mourn. 
So he's surrounded by all these crowds. Word comes to him that John the Baptist has died and uh, been killed. And so the Bible says he gets in a boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee just so he can be by himself. But word spreads on where he's going because apparently he told one of the disciples, probably Peter because he's got the big mouth. Everybody finds out. And they all walk around the, the, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And then they're all waiting there when Jesus pulls up to the beach. Just look. So if there's ever a day in Jesus' life when he has the right to say, no more. I'm done with people. I just need, I just need me, right? The Bible says that he saw the multitudes, got new information, was moved with his compassion, and then spent the rest of the day serving them. Now, when the day of Pentecost comes in Acts chapter 2, there's only 120 people part of the church. Where'd the other 15,000 people go? Like Jesus knew he was feeding 14,880 people that would reject him. They weren't a part of the church, but he served and fed them anyway. That's what he did, and he healed them too. That's what we do as a church. We meet needs of other people, whether they come to church or not. That's why, like, I don't know how many hundreds of families we fed at the beginning of COVID before the stimulus checks started coming in, right? Like, this is what we do. This is what we, and, and you as a Christian are to serve as the church, as an extension of your church family also. This is so important that Jesus said when he gets to the, the judgment day, he's going to separate the sheep and the goats on his right hand and his left hand. And the sheep are the ones who get, get to go to heaven, and the goats are the ones who go to hell. And here's what he says. Uh, Jesus said, uh, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom of heaven, prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me to your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. None of those have anything to do with preaching. Every one of those things are something every person in here can do. Then these righteous people will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then he says to the goats, you never did any of those things for me. Then they will say in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 25, then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And it's not that we do those things so that we can go into eternal life. It's just that those of us who are Christians, whose hearts have experienced the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit at work in our lives, this is something that God's already put the desire in your heart to do. Now, if you haven't been doing that, I don't want you to flog yourself or anything like that. Here's what's crazy. God's made an investment in you, and you get to determine whether or not you're a good return on his investment. And all of us do this. Anytime there's a, a choice to serve somebody, we go through a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, there was a study uh, by Johns Hopkins, not Johns Hopkins. There was a study by, uh, I don't want to look at for it for the sake of time, crud. If anybody's interested, come see me later, uh, and I'll find it. Um, ah! Wish I could say, oh, uh, Psychology Today, a study done in 2017 by Psychology Today that says everybody determines whether or not the benefit is worth the cost that it's going to cost them before they do something generous. And if you raise the cost, they're less likely to actually serve the person. In fact, they said uh, when those people are not, and I'm quoting, are not personally accountable for offering their help, they will be less inclined to exhibit adaptive helping, helping behavior. Um, so all of us are doing that. 
we, is, is it worth it for me to come back early from Kenya? Is it, and Ken, just so you know, it's not. I'm not coming back. <laughs> I love you, dude. I would rather pay a mover in my place, right? But I'm not. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry. We go through a cost-benefit, and then we, we determine whether or not the return on our investment is worth it. Here's what's crazy. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where you'll never lose them. And I get to exchange time now for treasure in heaven. I get to exchange money now for treasure in heaven, acts of service now for treasure in heaven. Basically, what Jesus does is he guarantees an, a phenomenal return on your investment. You either trust Jesus with your time, your talent, your treasure, or you don't. That's all. You either trust that he's better than the stock market or you don't. Does God care and is he paying attention to your acts of service? Because if he does care and he is paying attention, then there's not a single sacrifice you'll ever make. Jesus said this, nobody's ever given up houses or property or mother or father or brothers or sisters who won't receive a hundredfold in return. That's a pretty good return on your investment. And the thing is that God's already made that investment in you when Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And you get to determine whether or not you're a good return on his investment. And like I said a second ago, if you're looking at your life and you're like, I've been pretty selfish, and I kind of am right now, if I'm going to be completely honest, I'm part of that 80% who's just kind of like managing, not letting God really disrupt my life in any meaningful way, right? Uh, remember, Jesus still served Peter and Judas, and they weren't a failure because they denied Jesus that night, right? So all the way up until that moment, they'd been a horrible investment, but it wasn't what happened that night that mattered. It's what they did after that night. So maybe we're having a come to Jesus meeting like my dad had with me in the summer or like the coach had with you before the most important game of your life or like I've had in the kitchen with my kids. And everything up to now is not as important as everything that happens from now. And you are 100% in control of that. You can do something with that. Let's pray. God, I love that you know you know, you know us. You know what you're getting. You do. And you, and you still picked us. That's awesome. You knew that you would get our dysfunction. You knew that you would get our insecurities. You knew that you would get our selfishness, our fears. You knew that we would get our, our sincerity, like, and our, our hopes, our dreams. Like, you knew you were getting the, the bad with the good. And there's, we have great things in us that you put there. And, and God, there's things in the way. Uh, for those of us who are not Christians yet, the thing that's in the way is that we've just been stiff-arming you. And if that's you, your prayer is, God, I don't want you at a distance anymore. Can you make that your prayer? I'm asking you to come into my life. Save me from my sin and change me however you want. Can you make that your prayer? Change me however you want. I'm all in. I'm yours. I'm yours. Can you make that your prayer? If you've already made that your prayer, then I want you to consider the way in which you do or you don't serve people you're not obligated to. What is your role in this church family, and are you okay with that? Listen, there's different seasons of life. You're a mom with three kids under the age of six. Girl, you got to pass. Man, we're here to serve you, right? But there's different seasons. There are legitimate reasons why, for this season of time, we have to, whatever, and I'm not, I'm not your judge. The Holy Spirit will tell you if what you're doing right now is okay. And if he, uh, we, we trust him. But if there's something you need to change, then just change whatever it is the Holy Spirit's telling you in your heart you need to change. I, I can't do that. 
but you've got the chance right now to do that. God, I pray that you are pleased by the prayer that we're making, that we are responding right now to whatever it is you're seeing in our heart. And maybe you're just affirming that for right now at this time, it's okay for us to be right where we're at. And that's great if that's what it takes for us to become healthy so that we can get beyond where we're at. But God, for those of us who are healthy and are ready to get beyond where we're at, we've got to start taking steps. Let us do that. In Jesus' name, we all pray and we say together, amen.